chapter 7. The previous chapter ended with Stephen, before the Sanhedrin council, facing accusations that he spoke blasphemy against the temple and the law. Chapter 7 contains Stephen's defense to these charges and the account of his martyrdom. Stephen responded by reviewing the call of Abraham and God's promise to him and to the nation of Israel. He then described how God used Moses to deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage and led them for 40 years through the wilderness. Yet Israel rebelled against Moses, through whom God gave the law, not only in the incident involving the golden calf, but throughout their wilderness wanderings, Israel continued to worship false gods. Turning to the matter of God's dwelling place, Stephen acknowledged the role of the tabernacle of Moses in the temple of Solomon, but contended that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. He concluded by charging the council of resisting the Holy Spirit, just like their ancestors. For as their fathers persecuted and killed the prophets who foretold the coming of the just one, so they became his betrayers and murderers. Indeed, they were the ones who have not kept the law. Cut to the heart. Those in the council gnashed at Stephen with their teeth. Full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God with Jesus standing on his right hand. Upon telling the council what he saw, in rage they cast him out of the city and began stoning him. The witnesses who brought the false charges laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, later known as Paul the Apostle. As Stephen was stoned, he called upon Jesus to receive his spirit, not charge his murderers with his death. In this way, Stephen became the first martyr for Christ. Stephen's defense in chapter 7 verses 1 to 53. God's dealings with Abraham, the call to leave Mesopotamia, the sojourn in Canaan, the promise of possession to his descendants, the covenant of circumcision, and his descendants Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve patriarchs. And then the patriarchs sojourn in Egypt. Joseph sold into Egypt becomes governor. Jacob and his sons moved to Egypt during the famine, and the patriarchs buried in Canaan. God's deliverance of Israel by Moses. The children of Israel in Egypt become slaves. The work of Moses delivers Israel. Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He kills an Egyptian. He is despised by his brethren. He flees to Midian where he lives for 40 years. Then the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush at Mount Sinai. Moses returns to Egypt, delivers Israel, and brings them into the wilderness. Then he mentioned Israel's rebellion against God and Moses. Moses is the person who said God would raise up another prophet like him. Moses is the person who spoke to the angel at Mount Sinai. Moses is the person whom the fathers would not obey but rejected. Israel is the nation turned back into Egypt in their hearts. Israel is the nation who pressured Aaron to make a golden calf. Israel is the nation whom God gave up to worship the host of heaven for forty years in the wilderness. They may have offered sacrifices to the Lord. They also worshiped Moloch and Riphim. Amos 5, 25-27 And then he mentioned God's true tabernacle. The fathers of Israel had the tabernacle of witness. In the wilderness, built according to the pattern shown by Moses, brought into the promised land by Joshua. They also had the temple, asked for by David, who found favor before God, and built by his son Solomon. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, Stephen said. 
For heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. His hands made all things, Isaiah 66, 1-2. And then he mentioned, lastly, Israel's resistance to the Holy Spirit. Stephen charges the council of resisting the Holy Spirit, just as their fathers did. Their fathers persecuted and killed the prophets, so they have killed the just one. The sermon of Stephen was the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. It is as long as the three of Paul's put together. It is a great defense of the claims of Jesus. Although his name is not used, and he was referred to only in verse 52, the main thrust of Stephen's message is found in verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Stephen proved this point by citing Jewish history and climaxing with the contemporary rejection of Jesus. Stephen first cited the history of Abraham in verses 2 to 8. For to him all Jews looked, and to him the promise concerning the seed was given. Stephen then passed to Joseph in verses 9 to 16, perhaps because Joseph was such a good type of Christ. There was famine, which pictured Israel's condition at that time. And it was the second time when Joseph revealed himself to his brethren, just as it will be at our Lord's second coming, that Israel will recognize him. Stephen then spoke of Moses in verses 17 to 38. He pointed out how Moses the Deliverer had been rejected by his own people at first. It was the second time Moses came to his people that they accepted him. He also spoke of how Moses prophesied concerning Christ who was to come. He then spoke of Solomon's temple. Since he had been accused of defaming the temple, he reminded them that God does not dwell in temples made by men. 1 Kings 8.27, Isaiah 66, 1-2 Finally, Stephen applied his message to the Sanhedrin. You, he said, are doing the same as your forefathers by rejecting God's message through Jesus. This, he charged, was a sin against the Holy Spirit, and he laid the blame for the slaying of Christ squarely on them. Acts chapter 7, 52-53 Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels, and have not kept it. Now let's examine the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, 54-60 When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's last words were, lay not this sin to their charge. Just been stoned to death by his countrymen because he was preaching Jesus. And his last words, lay not this sin to their charge, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Those are some 
That's incredible last words. His last words, his last thoughts, his last desire was that these men that were stoning him, that this sin would not go against their charge, that Christ would forgive them for it. That's something. As Stephen bore down on the truth, the members of the council began to murmur and become disorderly. Finally, under so much conviction of heart, they interrupted his defense and rushed on him in preparation of stoning. So angered were they at him that they literally gnashed their teeth like ravenous beasts, stopped their ears so as not to hear him, cast him out of the city, and stoned him. There was no vote or recognition of the fact that the Sanhedrin did not itself have the power of sentencing to death. Amid all this confusion stood the serene figure of Stephen, sustained by the now standing Christ. This position indicates his ministry as a Melchizedekan priest giving sustenance to his people. Genesis 14:18. Christ's work of redemption is finished. Thus in respect he is seated. But his work of sustaining goes on. In this respect, he is standing. As the stoning proceeded, Stephen kneeled and asked the Lord to receive his spirit and lay not this sin to their charge. Then he fell dead and was ushered immediately into the presence of his standing Savior, who was waiting to greet him and tell him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. But the story does not end here. The first sentence of Acts chapter 8 finishes it. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Stephen was dead, but God's work lived on and would soon be carried on through the life of the man Saul, who was standing by holding the witness's clothing and consenting to Stephen's death. Out of seeming tragedy came a vessel fit for the master's use for new advance. Out of Stephen came Paul. Acts chapter 8 Following the martyrdom of Stephen, the church in Jerusalem was severely persecuted. Prominent in leading the persecution was young Saul, going so far as to enter into homes and dragging men and women off to prison. This led to the dispersion of the church throughout Judea and Samaria. Though the apostles remained in Jerusalem, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word, including Philip, one of the seven men selected to help the needy widows. Preaching Christ and performing miracles, many Samaritans believed and were baptized, and a profession was made by a sorcerer named Simon. When the apostles heard that the Samaritans had received the word, they sent Peter and John to impart the Spirit through the laying on of hands. When Simon tried to buy the ability to impart spiritual gifts, Peter strongly rebuked him and told him to repent and pray for forgiveness. Peter and John eventually made their way back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Philip was told by an angel to go along the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. He saw a man reading his chariot who happened to be a eunuch and treasurer of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. Told by the Spirit to overtake the chariot, Philip heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. Invited to explain a passage in Isaiah, Philip proceeded to preach Jesus to him. When they came to some water, the eunuch requested to be baptized, and Philip did so upon hearing his confession of faith. When they came up out of the water, the spirit caught Philip away, and the eunuch resumed his journey with great joy. Philip was later found at Azatos and continued to preach in the cities until he came to Caesarea. So now we look at the persecution of the church, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. One of the chief persecutors, the man who now begins to dominate the book of Acts, was Saul. The intensity of his attacks is shown by the fact that he went into homes, and that he included women and those he persecuted and arrested. Beating and loss of property would have been unavoidable with this kind of persecution. These persecutions had social approval. Paul Chapel made the following comment about this. It was very popular with the leadership and most of the citizens of Jerusalem to persecute the Christians. Those who were the most active in persecution, such as Paul, received praise and promotion from the leaders. The persecution affected most every home. The word havoc means devastation. So Saul devastated the church with the persecutions he led. Paul testified to as much in Philippians 3.6, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, in Acts 22.4, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Paul says, I persecuted this way unto the death. Acts 8.4, Therefore that they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. God used the persecution. God used the scattering as a result of the persecution to spread the gospel. Therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. God used what man meant for ill. God used what man meant for bad. God used the persecution by men to greatly multiply the church, to spread the gospel, to get more witnesses for him, to get more people saved. God used what they meant for bad, and used it for tremendous good and gain for his kingdom. God's plan all along was for the church to grow and witness beyond Jerusalem. God's plan was for the gospel message to spread far and reach out into the whole world. God used the persecution of the church in this instance to grow the church. And this type of growth, as a result of persecution, has been demonstrated all throughout history. God will take what men meant for evil, the persecuting of the church, and use it for good. The rapid spreading and growth of the church. The message the persecutors were attempting to contain and muzzle was spreading like wildfire on a windy day. The enemies of a church tried to kill the message and messengers of Jesus. But God used their evil for good for the salvation of many.